Welcome to the OKC First podcast. Together, we're learning to do three things. Friendship with God. Friendship with one another. And open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Today's passage comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 18, verses 21 and 22. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, not seven times, but I tell you, 77 times. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, that's ridiculous, Jesus. Guess we're going to have to unpack that now. We are in the last couple of weeks of a sermon series uh, called The Academy. And we have called it The Academy because it is a Pentecost season sermon series. And during the season of Pentecost, the people of God all over the world, those of us who are observing Uh, this season of Pentecost, we are being trained to be the kinds of people who can carry on the mission and extend the grace and the hospitality, the character and nature of God. We are being trained for mission and ministry. And last week, we even referred to that mission and ministry as rescue. We use that kind of language. Dateline, Florida, somewhere in Florida. It happened this week, and this news story caught my attention happened uh, on September 12th of this week. Well, we are going to need that sound. Let's uh, back up a little bit. We'll try it again. We good everywhere? We good everywhere? We're going to try it again. If it doesn't work this time, I'm just going to narrate it with the video as the backdrop. So you think we think we about got it? Okay, here we go. All right, so here's what happened. Kid by the name of Austin McMillan. Uh, was in his pool in the backyard, and he has a therapist, a behavioral therapist that comes and spends some time with him. And so as you do when you're in a pool, you have contests to see who can hold their breath the longest. Well, uh, Austin and his therapist, they both went under the water and they held their breath. Austin bailed pretty quickly. But the therapist, he did pretty well. And it wasn't until he was in about the fifth or sixth minute (laughs) that Austin said, something has happened. Something terrible has happened. And so 12-year-old Austin dragged this guy, dove underneath the water, grabbed him, pulled him up onto the steps, and then ran out into the, the neighborhood and started screaming for help. And when nobody immediately came, he knew he had to do something. And so he went back in, and he administered CPR to this guy. And you know where he got his training to do CPR? You guessed it, by watching Stranger Things. Apparently, there was a scene in Stranger Things that gave this young man just enough insight that he actually figured out how to go about (laughs) poor form, but still, somehow, he was able to share the breath of life with his therapist. His therapist survived, obviously, and uh, at the end of this thing, calls him a hero, a hero. That's what I wanted you to hear. He was a hero. You know, uh, we do some CPR training around here. In fact, 
uh, it's been not that long ago that Pastor Lisa, with Amber Knapp's help, did a CPR training class. CPR, and they also learned how to use the AED, right? The, uh, is that the right term, doctor? Yeah, A, what? AED, thank you, sir. So those things where you can like, like clear, and pff, I still don't know what I'm saying. Defibrillators, there we go. Even did that sort of thing as well. But CPR training seems important, and we're going to do it again soon. Now, here's the thing. Air is in great supply. Imagine, imagine someone who has gotten CPR training. Imagine that person ready, ready, it seems, to jump into action to save somebody's life by offering her breath or his breath to support somebody else. Imagine if that person said right at the last minute, ugh. I don't know if there's enough oxygen to go around. I better hang on to this breath. I know that you desperately need it, but because I'm not sure that there is enough breath to go around, I'm just gonna hang on to it. Imagine. I mean, the person who's refusing, the person who is refusing to give CPR, to give the breath of life, if he or she decides that they're just gonna hold on to that breath no matter how long it takes to hold on to it and keep it for themselves, eventually, you die. And other people might die too. Hopefully, if you take our CPR training, you will, if pressed in the service, make your breath available to somebody else, the breath of life. We're in the second part of a mini, mini series, a two-part mini series about how we do life together. This is still training. The training, though, for the last couple of weeks has been about this. How do we do life together? And you can't separate what we heard last week from what you will hear this week. So just as a refresher, last week, we were asked this question, what do we do if someone sins and wanders away? And what I said to you is, given the words of Christ, what I've said to you is, we kind of have to organize like the Good Shepherd. We organize like the Good Shepherd to go and say, hey, you, you ought to come back. And the best way to do that at first is to go one to one. You, you really ought to, I'm concerned about you. you. You should wander back onto this way of life that we call Christianity. If that doesn't work, Scripture says, well, take a couple of other people with you. You need to get your story straight, but just take a couple of people with you. If that particular gesture is refused, then the whole church says, no, you, you really, we really want you back. And here's what we said at the end of that. Listen, if they say that they don't want to come back, According to Jesus here, you treat that person like a tax collector or a Gentile. Now, does that mean, we said this last week too, does that mean I get to finally ostracize somebody because I've always wanted to use my powers of ostracization? <laughs> no. How did Jesus treat Gentiles and tax collectors? Jesus was all the time getting in trouble for eating with them. That's what you ought to do. If someone has flatly refused to come back to the fold, what you need to do is buy the coffee buy the lunch, and then buy it again. Stay a consistent, constant presence. Continue to be the embodiment of God's enduring grace. And they may never say yes, but you will always be the image of God's enduring grace. Today, Peter clarifies the question. Today, Peter is going to say, yeah, but what if somebody else sitting in a pew sins against me? What are we supposed to, to do then? 
and you can probably see it coming, we're going to talk a lot about forgiveness today. In fact, we're going to call forgiveness the breath of life, the breath that offers life. But I need to clarify up front what we're not talking about. So I've tried to set the context for you. We're talking about what happens when one person sins against somebody else in the church, in the family of God, the people of faith. And it happens. You should know that. It happens. We get on one another's nerves. We, we say things we shouldn't say. We take postures. We take sides. We take opinions to Sunday school sometimes. This is where I hear about it the most. Man, I'm so tired of so-and-so because of the way they speak their mind in Sunday school. And never, right now, you all know who I'm talking about. We're talking about that situation. We are not talking about the woman facing physical abuse at home. We are not saying to the woman facing physical abuse at home, we're not going to chastise her into staying in that abusive relationship. And all God's people said, no, for her sake, and for the abuser's sake, the one who sins every time he hits her or is verbally or emotionally abusive, we're going to say to her, get out. Find refuge. Forgiveness can take many forms, even for this woman who is battered, but it shouldn't take the form of her returning to be abused over and over again. i, I got to get that said so that we can move on to this stuff. You know, Peter is asking a real-life church life question. And probably about the person who keeps hogging all of the oxygen during the disciple meetings. Or someone who keeps spouting his or her political nonsense during those discussions. Remember, they had Simon the Zealot. They also had Matthew, a tax collector. People who probably were on different sides of very important topics. Or maybe it's the person in the group who somehow, each and every time we get together, says something to make me feel small or insignificant or unworthy. Peter may be here complaining about Judas Iscariot. I can... Sh <laughs> Somehow I can, I can see Judas Iscariot being a, a difficult participant in group discussions. But maybe it was somebody else. Because there are some people who do have the uncanny ability to suck the oxygen out of a room. Others seem to know how to take my breath away, but not in a good way. Some people believe crazy things, and we go to church with them. Pastor, the more I hear her speak, the more I think that she just might be a Democrat. Pastor, every time he opens his mouth and spews his stuff, I think he might be a Republican or maybe a very dangerous libertarian. <laughs> what do we do with these folks, Jesus? What, what do we do with these folks? We're, we're going to church with these folks. Does that mean that we have to suffer them indefinitely? I mean, we all know it, right? Even here in the church, there are going to be people who sin against me or against us. And, and, and frankly, along with Peter, we're tired of it, right? <laughs> Exhausted by it. Here's the question Simon Peter is asking Jesus. Jesus, when can we finally put those people out of our misery? Make some sense? Then Peter said to him, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, 
How often should I give? As spiritual as I am, Jesus, you know that I am in for at least seven times. Jesus, I, I, I have heard you and I have heard this message. I'm almost able to do it myself, said Peter, almost. Forgive, forgive, forgive. But Jesus, when and where does that stop? The question Peter is asking seems to be about Revenge, actually, scorekeeping, not reconciliation. Jesus, when can we finally hit back and put an end to her nonsense or to his dishonesty? Jesus, the stuff, the stuff these folks are spewing into the air, it's toxic, toxic and we're all breathing it. Somebody has to do something, and I'm willing to do something after that seventh time. You know what Jesus says here. Jesus said to him, not seven times, but I tell you, 77 times. Or maybe your translation says 70 times seven, which I think, I've been studying, I think that's like 490. Right? Jesus wasn't giving him a specific number, though. Jesus was saying, Peter, stop counting. When do you get to keep when do you get to take revenge? Simon Peter, you continue, as is Simon Peter's spiritual gift, to ask the wrong questions. Here is the tough part. You ready? Can I, can I tell you what Jesus is saying here? And I know you're still thinking about that crazy person in your Sunday school class. And we all have a crazy person in our Sunday school class. In fact, it might be me in my class. <laughs> Here's what Jesus is saying. You shouldn't run out of forgiveness for that person. You're not meant to run out of forgiveness for that person with whom you disagree vehemently. You're not to run out of the supply of forgiveness, even as it has to do with that person who somehow does have that uncanny ability to make you feel this big. You're not supposed to run out of forgiveness because the source of forgiveness that you're supposed to be spending on these people is not you. And Jesus goes on to tell a mind-blowing story. Jesus says, For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king, a king, probably a Gentile king, who wished to settle accounts with his slaves, but probably not slaves as you and I are thinking about it, not people who are just carrying heavy loads everywhere, probably could have been servants here. And if it's servants of a Gentile king, then it might have been members of the cabinet. And in fact, this particular person seems like, because of this immense debt, this might have been a person in charge of taxation throughout the kingdom. Throughout the kingdom. The king was going through and, and settling debts. When he began the reckoning, the one who owed him 10,000 talents at the time, 10,000 was the biggest number that anyone could conceptualize. A an immense, immense, immense amount of money. In fact, if you need to translate into English, I think the proper English word would be gazillions. <laughs> this guy 
owed the king gazillions of dollars. It wasn't that he personally owed it. It's that he was probably responsible for this whole system of taxation and collection, and he had failed so miserably that now the kingdom would change because of it. And the king, maybe even rightly, is angry. The man could not pay, and so the king ordered him to be sold, together with his wife and his children and all of his possessions, and payment to be made. The annual tax income for all of Herod the Great's territories was just 900 talents a year. 10,000 talents would exceed the combined taxes for all of Syria, Phoenicia, Judea, Samaria. The amount is so fantastic It is beyond our capacity to calculate. The king knew he wasn't going to get this money back. The king doesn't really think that selling this man and his people and these people's stuff is actually going to right the ship here financially. He's making a point, making an example out of this person. You have failed me. Because of your failure, because of this massive debt, everything you have, said the king, and everything you are, said the king, belongs to me. You have nothing. I own you and your future. I even own the air in your lungs now. Verse 26. The slave fell on his knees before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. No, he wasn't. But the king, verse 27, out of pity, the king released him and forgave the debt of y'all, says here, gazillions of dollars. Forgave it. Out of pity, but because the king's heart was reached, the king released him and forgave The debt, by the way, in the original language, the words for release and forgive are are very similar. They have similar word pictures. To release, the king gave him his life and his future back. He gave him back some air for his lungs, but this, this air was still a gift from the king. The servant had no capacity to pay the king back, and the king knew it. This, friends, was nothing but grace. You see that? The forgiveness here was nothing but grace. Because to forgive this amount of money, (laughs) not getting these taxes, that much money was going to change the kingdom. It's going to completely change everything. It shifts more than just the budget. It changes the priorities of the king and the kingdom. It has to be a different kingdom now with different priorities and different measures of success. It is now a completely different organization, but the king's heart was ready for it because the king had been reached by the pleas of the guilty servant. That's where it kind of takes a dark turn, verse 28, but that same slave, as he went out, now breathing pretty deeply, right? (laughs) Can you imagine being relieved of a gazillion dollar debt? That same slave, as he went out, came upon one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. Or, trying to calculate this, This slave was owed by the second slave one six-hundred-thousandth of what it was that he owed the king. So seizing him, the second servant by the throat, 
It looks here to me like he's trying to choke the very breath out of him, right? He said, pay what you owe. Then his fellow slave fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. Should have sounded familiar to him. Verse 30, but he refused and then he went and threw him into prison until he would pay the debt. One six hundred thousandth of what this first servant owed the king. The first servant never, in an entire lifetime, he never would have been able to repay the debt that was owed to the king. In fact, here's the way he probably should have looked at it. He was going to be indebted now to the king for his whole life, such that anything that anybody owed him actually belonged to the king. Are you catching this? He owed so much to the king. His debt was so great to the king who, yes, forgave it, but he still understands that he has owed so much to the king that anything somebody else might have owed this first servant actually wouldn't have ever belonged to him. It actually should have gone to the king. Why does this first servant behave like this? Why do we behave like this? Why did you withhold forgiveness the last time you withheld forgiveness? Why did you, let me do better than that. Why did I withhold forgiveness the last time I withheld forgiveness? Did I forget? that I owe more to the king than the other owed to me? When the king forgave this debt, when the king provided the first servant with a new future, a new lease on life, he had given up on any hope that the servant would be able to pay him back, but the king did seem to want for the servant to pay it forward. Why do we withhold forgiveness? Actually, let's go back to you. It's more comfortable for me to talk about you. Can you think back to the last time you withheld forgiveness? Why did you do that? What, what was it that you were protecting? Why did you not allow for the breath that you had been gifted to be re-gifted to the one seeking your forgiveness. My guy that I like to read, D. Mark Davis, who writes Left Behind and Loving It, says this. He says, I, I think it's probably this. I expect that we're not ready to accept either A, that our debt that God has forgiven was really all that hefty to begin with. I'm really a pretty good person, God. Or B, that the debt we refuse to forgive someone else is really all that like. God, they did terrible things to me on a weekly basis. And without accepting either of those premises, this parable becomes something that is more for other people than oneself. Whoa, church, check your heart. Did you already check out? I mean, yes, you've got a fantasy football lineup to set. Amen. Thank you. But this is for you. 
And the really dangerous people in the room are the ones who say, it's not for me, it's for somebody else. You're a danger. For a couple of reasons. One, you perhaps have not recently made sober assessment of just how much forgiveness it takes to give you a new lease on life. Second, you may be the person who has the CPR training but is afraid that there's just not enough air to go around and so you're gonna hold your breath and hold in all of that forgiveness on the off chance that there's not enough to go around even if it means that somebody else perishes in the process. If you think this about somebody else, you're a danger. Verse 31, when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed, and rightly so, and they went and reported to their Lord all that had taken place. And then the Lord summoned him and said to him, you wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt. I breathed new life into your circumstances. I, I gave you a new lease on life. I forgave all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? Weren't you supposed to pay it forward? You had no hope of paying it back, but weren't you at least supposed to pay it forward? And the answer is yes. Verse 34. This is hard. And in his anger, his Lord handed him over to be tortured until he would repay his entire debt, and he wouldn't ever be able to repay it. So my heavenly Father, I wish this verse wasn't in here. So my heavenly Father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart, from the center of your being. I have this week watched as several different commentators did backflips to try to figure out a way to better explain that last verse. And some of the arguments are pretty good. It does look like that this last verse came late in the game. But it's there. We cannot act as if it's not there. And that last part doesn't sound like the God that we see reflected in the face of Jesus. But maybe the point is this, that God, knowing exactly who each one of us is, knowing who we are and what we're capable of, still forgives us so deeply and completely that it is the hope of God that the result of that forgiveness would generate in you gratitude, and maybe even a little bit of embarrassment. Friends, God knows you. Even the stuff that you work every day to try to keep under wraps. God knows that too, and God forgives. And it is the hope of God that somehow your recognition of all that has been forgiven where you're concerned will result in the kind of gratitude that somehow laps over the top and splashes out on other people. And if it doesn't, maybe you, like the author said earlier, have just made life light of the gift that you've been given. That would explain why we struggle to forgive others if we don't actually Appreciate the extent to which and the depth to which God has forgiven each one of us. But when we, whether it's because we don't know or we don't remember how much breath God has breathed into our lungs, when we refuse grace 
and we refuse to breathe into the one who is annoying us on a weekly basis, then perhaps we haven't actually fully breathed in the forgiveness on offer to each of us. And perhaps that's the point at which God has no choice but to leave us in the torturous world of scorekeeping where you will never win, you will never measure up, you will never come out on top, you are always going to be stuck in a cycle of violence, breathless. And perhaps that's torture enough. Have you ever been around somebody who is struggling to breathe? It's terrifying. And it doesn't have to be that way. One of my favorite stories that circulates around here and has for decades is about a young couple who, through no fault of their own, incurred some pretty serious medical debt the kind of debt that can shape in a very negative way, can shape your future, steal your future, take the breath out of your lungs. Have you ever known somebody to face that kind of medical debt? This couple's Sunday school class, without their knowledge, gathered up a collection and paid their debt. Paid it. Such that when they went to go make a payment, the person behind the desk said, well, uh, there, there must be some mistake because this says paid in full. Imagine that deep breath as they walk back to their car. Forgiving deeply can be like that. Where there is forgiveness, forgiveness, there is a new future available. God is eager to forgive and make a new future available to each one of us. The question is, are we willing to make that new future available to somebody else? Are you willing to pay it forward knowing that you can't ever pay it back? One of my favorite books that I've read recently was by the late Bishop Desmond Tutu, who in, in talking about apartheid and, and the horrors of apartheid and how it is that a country healed from apartheid wrote a, a book called No Future Without Forgiveness. And if you are looking for a book to read, man, I, I would put it in my top 10 in terms of the impact it made on my mind and my, my heart and my imagination. No Future Without Forgiveness. There's a reason that we say during the Lord's Prayer. There's a reason around here that we say, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. We know that there's another option out there, right? The trespass, 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 forgive those trespasses, right? There's that whole thing, right? But we say quite clearly and have for years around here, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And you know why? Matthew 18 is why. We find in the forgiveness that's been made, made available to us the resources to forgive one another. And just on the off chance that I'm not good at it today, we pray this each week in the hope that someday, this is the way we feel about the entire Lord's Prayer, right? We pray the Lord's Prayer not because we believe it yet, we pray it each week in the hopes that we will. Every time we pray it, it takes up a little bit more ground in my Christian imagination. And today, I want you to pay particular attention to how these lines hit your lips. Forgive us our debt as we 
forgive our debtors. God, forgive me and grant me the capacity to forgive other people. Just this morning, late addition to the sermon, I saw this quote from Pope Francis. Without forgiveness, there is no hope. Without forgiveness, there is no peace. Forgiveness is the oxygen that purifies the air of hatred. It is the antidote to the poisons of resentment. It is the way to diffuse anger and heal so many maladies of the heart. And I have used very intentionally today the language of breath. Because in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, the same word gets translated breath, wind, spirit. What God breathes into you at the moment of forgiveness is God's spirit, God's wind, God's breath, which makes a life available and a future available, which would not have been available to you otherwise. God's forgiveness makes life available that would not be available to you otherwise. Everyone, Dr. Tashin in the uh, Word and Table service, it happens every week, you have this line. Dr. Tashin stands up and as a representative of the God of forgiveness says, by the mercy and the grace of God, you all are forgiven. Dr. Tashin isn't forgiving them per se. He is reminding them that God has forgiven us. Let's try this. As a representative of God, while I know that I can't pronounce forgiveness, I am happy to be in a position to relay this very important message. You ready? Here it comes. You are forgiven. And if you breathe deeply of that forgiveness made available to you today, there is life available that would not have been available otherwise. Now, here's what I'd like for you to do with that which now occupies your lungs. I would like for you to breathe it. Breathe it and make it available to somebody else. John, I don't know. I don't know, I don't know if you know just how annoyed I am with X. I don't know if you recognize how he or she makes me feel on a regular basis. I don't know if you've paid attention to see how it is that that person, and it feels like sometimes that person just by existing is sinning against me. I'm tired and I get Peter's question how much longer do I have to put up with X? One of the reasons that we take communion each and every week around here is to be reminded <laughs> that the God of the universe doesn't keep score. The God of the universe is not seeking counsel from the people around God, somewhere in God's eternity, saying, hey, y'all, how many more times am I going to forgive? I'm pick on somebody. How many more times am I going to forgive Vanette before I just say forget it? Well, the God of the universe doesn't have that gear. It doesn't count. And so each and every week, Dr. Tashin there and me here, we get to stand in front of you and say, hey, the God who forgives still forgives. The God who forgave 
is forgiving today. The God who breathes life into you is still breathing today. The next part is up to you. If you are helping us today, please come and set this table. Heavenly Father, bless these elements, bread and cup. God, they represent so many things, these elements. But today, God, may we be especially aware of how it is that bread and cup make tangible your grace and your forgiveness. God, somehow in the process of of taking bread and cup, may we be reminded that you have breathed new life and new hope, a new future, new possibilities into us that we never could have earned on our own. And at the very same time, God, as we take another piece of bread, as we week after week take another and another and another piece of bread, may we recognize that slowly but surely we are being formed and shaped to be the bread taken, blessed, broken, and given In other words, God, may we bask in your forgiveness, breathe deeply of your forgiveness long enough to be able to breathe it, to breathe it into the person who may be seeking forgiveness today. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet, to exit your pew to the left, and to come forward with your hands cupped. Now, this is all of you who would like to participate. None of you have to participate. All are invited. What am I going to say? But none are compelled. You all are invited. Are you sure I qualify, Pastor? If you recognize your need for grace, (laughs) if you have thought about somebody who recently has sought your forgiveness and you have said, "Uh, kind of, but not really, you need this grace. So do I. If you recognize your need for grace, then you will always be welcome each week at this table. So if you're going to come down, I'd ask that you come down with your hands cupped. As you approach somebody holding a plate of bread, that person will take a piece and press it into your hands and say, this is the body of Christ broken for you. Take that piece of bread. Don't eat it just yet, but dip it into the cup. And when you do, that person holding the bread, holding the cup will say, and this is the blood of Christ shed for you. And then take and eat. And then please, please find a place to pray. If you come up here to one of these padded altars, we'll assume that you're there for a prayer for healing, and somebody will meet you there and pray that prayer with you. It could be physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, relational, familial. If you come for a prayer, we will meet you and pray with you that prayer for healing. If you come to one of these mourner's benches up front, we won't assume anything, but we will at some point come by and touch you on the back, the neck, the shoulder to let you know that you are not alone. Or you can just circle right back around to your seat and pray, but I do hope that you'll pray. And I hope that you'll pray something, something like this. God, do I fully appreciate the extent to which you have forgiven me? Have I breathed deeply enough of your forgiveness? And then, God, How might I share this breath with somebody else today? Is there somebody in arm's reach who needs to breathe this new life today? 
you may want to make a special trip down to dip your fingers into this bowl of water meant to help you remember the moment of your baptism. If you need that as I do each week, then this is available to you here. If you can't make it down here, then somebody, probably Kristen, will come and find you. If you can't make it down, just raise your hand and we will try to accommodate you. And now hear the ritual. It was on the night that he was betrayed that our Savior took bread and he blessed it and broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body broken for you and every time you eat of it, remember me. The same way he would take the cup, hold it up before them and say, and this is my blood, the blood of a new covenant and every time you drink of it, remember me. So all across the sanctuary now, if you would, stand to your feet. All who are willing and come forward with your hands cupped to receive these gifts of God meant to nourish and help the people of God.